0: hello everybody and welcome back to critically acclaimed a movie review podcast where good taste and bad taste hey we got our sound effects back they explode hooray
1: I'm I'm so glad that's back
0: who would like to express their gratitude to Rodney Dangerfield
1: Thank you Rodney
0: that kid <laughs> It's good to be back. Our computer is back up and running. Hopefully the sound quality is a little better. Uh, My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls
1: me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Everybody calls me Whitney Seibold. I know it's not very exciting. I'm excited to be with you. I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: We're friends. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. This week on Critically Acclaimed, it's the first new episode of 2022. We've got some new movies to review, a couple of older movies that are getting wider releases, And we have some sad stuff to talk about as well. This week, we'll be reviewing the new films, The 355. It's 2022. It's January. We're doing The 355. We're doing a thriller called See For Me. Uh, We're doing a couple of movies that uh, had Oscar qualifying runs, but are just now coming out in a larger uh, way. Uh, The Tender Bar, directed by George Clooney, starring Ben Affleck, uh, and the latest film from Celine Sciamma, the director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, a film called Petite Maman, or Little Mother. Mm-hmm. Before we can get to any of that, sadly, we had quite a week uh, in the entertainment industry. Uh, a lot of really important figures have passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that, you know, it goes a bit in cycles. Sometimes there's more than others, but one of the things we're just going to have to get used to is the idea that in the second half of the 20th century... Thanks largely to more mass media availability, uh, we started having a lot more celebrities than we used to. And as a result, there's a lot of people whose lives and whose art and whose careers have meant a lot to a lot of people who are getting older Mm -hmm. and are sadly not going to be with us for forever. And yeah, it's, it's, um, it sucks. But it's basically this is this is kind of life now, is every every so
1: often we have to say goodbye to amazing people yeah. who made the world I, um, I think a better place. Uh to be fair, uh one of these uh venerable souls did live to the age of ninety-nine. Ah oh, yes. Uh and so we, we had plenty of time to love her and appreciate her. And I'm talking about Betty White, of yeah. course. Uh Betty White Maybe better known as a TV personality, but starred in films. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in uh, mostly TV throughout most of her career. She, she, had had, her she started on TV in like uh, 1939 or something. Like, but like before there was even like proper broadcast television. Betty she was White, doing it for a long time. Technically, and this
0: is true, Betty White, older than sliced bread. That's right. They didn't you know, use, Sliced
1: bread came out in 28.
0: They always talk about like, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, seriously, think about that. There was a time when, when you bought bread, it wasn't, it wasn't pre-sliced. You had to slice it yourself. This was not the greatest inconvenience in the world, but pre-slicing it was more convenient. People were really digging it. I remember when I was a kid, I saw a comic strip called The World According to Carp, you know, like the fish. Mm. And there was the one panel, and it was just the neatest thing, sliced bread. <laughs> and people were like fanning it out like it was poker, like juggling it. Betty White is older than Slice Bread. Betty White was on television before television was television. She only made a couple of movies early in her career, like the 40s, 50s. She was in Advise and Consent. Uh, But she dominated television for so many decades. Uh, I think most people know her best uh, from her role on Golden Girls nowadays. Hmm. Golden Girls, a show I never really watched in its initial run. I only caught it in reruns. Uh, but, uh, Golden Girls was about, uh, four women who were, who were, who were getting on in years Mm. and they all lived in a house together and they fucked a lot. (laughs) They Seriously That is a very horny show Have you watched that show Recently Um, Especially Blanche
1: But all of them
0: All of them get around The the Rue McClanahan
1: character Uh, Seriously It was was B. Arthur Rue McClanahan uh, Estelle Getty And and of course Betty White I forgot how much Uh, sex People used to have on television (laughs) Just in general (laughs) The Friends didn't
0: have That much sex No
1: Golden Girls was, it was successful at the time, mm-hmm. and then it sort of lay fallow for a bit, and I think a new generation rediscovered it in reruns. Oh, yeah. And it became this huge new cult phenomenon a generation when, later.
0: When I was in college, between like in like the early 2000s, like 2000, mm-hmm. 2004, that was the majority of the time I was in college. Every oh, dude, <laughs> every dude I know, every frat guy I knew <laughs> watched Golden Girls religiously. Yeah. yeah like yeah. constantly watched Golden Girls. Cool. <laughs> That's not a complaint. It's just it was a thing. Betty White was hilarious on that show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She
0: was absolutely she ostensibly she was the naive one, but she was also like the badass, tough as nails one when the shit hit the fan. Do you remember the time when they uh, uh, they got like stuck on a deserted island and she had to like whip everybody into shape? No. And then it turns out <laughs> they were just on the opposite side of a resort island.
1: Oh God, no! I don't, I don't remember that
0: one. Yeah, always had incredible, uh, incredible monologues, uh, mm. wonderful bits. Uh, we focus more on film here. Uh, Betty White, actually, she's kind of significant to you if you think about it. Your first published film review was for a Betty White
1: film. It was, and in fact, I was going to bring that up. Uh, not, not because it's significant to me personally. Um, mm. Back uh, when I first started writing film reviews trying to get out in the professional world. Uh, a little newspaper called the Santa Monica Mirror, still in print, uh, wanted needed a film reviewer. And I started writing them reviews on a regular basis. They only ever published the first one I submitted. They didn't like any of the others. Uh, I wrote like dozens after that. Uh, but well, it was, I admire your tenacity. It was for a 1999 film called Lake Placid. It was written by David E. Kelly, uh, who is better known for, also better known for TV. Yeah, you know,
0: Allie McBeal. Just came off uh, yeah.
1: LA Law. A lot of big lawyer shows. Mm. And... Uh, It was directed by Steve Miner, who had done other horror films besides. Mm. Uh, And in it, uh, Betty White plays a woman who lives on the the titular lake. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this lake is a 30-foot monster mutant crocodile that's been eating people. And we learn over the course of the film that she's been secretly, like, leading cows to the lake's edge (laughs) and feeding the crocodile. (laughs) Like, whole cows! Uh, Yeah. And, uh, And they suspect that she's been, like, murdering people. And they say, you murdered your husband. She's like, oh, yeah, you fed him to the crocodile, didn't you? Oh, oh, no, 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 he was just, he he was terminally ill, so I just hit him on the head with a frying pan. Am I going to go to jail? <laughs> and when they finally catch her, like, you think she's really innocent, and of course we get that sort of old lady cliche, where yeah. she gets just unleash a fusillade of obscenities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's especially shocking because it's Betty White doing right. it. That movie, even, it wasn't a huge hit. And it wasn't no, it was a modest really success, but it was not and, huge. Uh, It It came out like like, the same summer as
0: like The Sixth Sense and The Blair Witch Project. It got kind of overlooked a little bit at the time.
1: Uh, It's fine. I actually kind of enjoy it. It's a very enjoyable Um,
0: thriller. It's a comedy
1: comedy monster
0: movie. Good tongue-in-cheek stuff. Surprisingly good cast. Bill Pullman,
1: Bridget Fonda. Oliver um, Platt. Oliver Platt is excellent. Brendan Gleeson
0: before we knew who he was.
1: (laughs) He plays the grumpy cop. Like
0: before he was, everyone knew who Brendan Gleeson was. was, I think it might have been the first Brendan Gleeson movie I saw. It was like Placid.
1: Yeah. Uh, Even though it wasn't... It was widely enough seen, though, that I think people started to notice Betty White again. When you walked away, uh, any review you read was about how Betty White got to cuss a bunch. And that kind of put her back in film. And if you look at her filmography, she started making more movies after Lake Placid. Yeah,
0: it's like, like, seriously, you look at her filmography. I'm on the Wikipedia page right now. Mm -hmm. She's got uh, one, two, three, four. She's got four movies on her filmography until the 90s. And yeah. then like a handful in the late ni- in the late 90s And then it just whoo takes off um, By the way, do you remember who played uh, Betty White's character's sister In the sequel to Lake Placid? Uh, it was Cloris Leachman Great casting mm-hmm. <laughs> We got rid of Betty White But we got Cloris Leachman Amazing uh, A few years after that two, uh, Actually 10 years after that 2009 Betty White had another career resurgence All of a sudden When she played uh, Ryan Reynolds' grandmother in The Proposal That's right which is mostly a cute movie uh, She basically gets to be The wacky grandma But she knows how to do that better than anybody yeah, She's the best at everything um, Betty White uh, Absolute champion I wish I could remember who said this Someone said this online um, 2021 didn't kill Betty White Betty White Took 2021 with her <laughs> And said Fly you fools <laughs> Absolute legend Betty White, mm-hmm. she will be sorely missed. Uh, another uh, TV personality, mostly who we lost, uh, and we want to mention briefly, even though again we're mostly uh, a film, uh, was Bob Saget. Just passed away, way younger than I thought he was. It was uh,
1: he was he was sixty five. Yeah, uh, had is, a heart attack and just in his too himself, damn young. Yeah,
0: too damn young. Bob Saget. Uh, Bob Saget uh, was best known for two things. Well, I guess three things. He was known for being uh, the family friendly. Host of America's funniest home videos, as well as the dad on Full House, yeah. two shows I barely ever watched.
1: Uh, I I haven't seen a single frame of Full House. Mm-hmm. That, that is, I, I think uh, I feel
0: like a episode, it's like of Full House,
1: d- right outside of my experience. Yeah, um, never was. I it. saw like some home videos, but I never sought it out. Yeah, um, because of his involvement in those two shows, uh, mm. he was very beloved by kids who discovered him that way. Sure. Because he was just sort of like a, a kind, fatherly figure on Full House. From Which brings us
0: to the other thing he was famous well, for. Uh,
1: my, my, the popular image of him and my image of him for many years was that of this sort of like square dip. Yeah. It's just some sort of dippy guy, just kind of a boring actor, not, not a very funny guy. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> it turns out he's also a stand-up comedian. And not only that, he is one of the filthiest stand-up comedians you can hope to meet. Mm-hmm. He, he will uh, cuss up a blue streak. Uh, to honor his memory, uh, my wife and I watched The Aristocrats uh, oh, yeah. last night where he has a, a notable bit and other comedians talk about how Bob Saget kind of takes this notoriously filthy yeah. joke that only comedians tell to one another. They don't tell it on stage.
0: People forget about this. There was a 2005 documentary called The Aristocrats mm. and it was about the history of of a really vile joke. But the beauty of the joke is that the middle part is completely up to the, to the storytellers imagination. Mm. So it leads, it starts off with a guy. He's in a talent agency. And then like a group of people, I believe it's usually a family come in and say, we have a new act for you. And the act is the most repellent, horrifying thing you can possibly imagine. I've heard comedians tell this joke and go on for five to 10 minutes. About just how bad the act is. <laughs> and and just how disgusting and depraved. Yeah. And at the end, the punchline is always the same, which is the commu- which is the the, the, the talent, the, agent, the the talent cool. agent, shocked, says, What do you call it? And they just say, The aristocrats. The aristocrats. The aristocrats. Sorry, yeah, you, you blew it. But dis <laughs> how did I blow that joke. I ruined the joke. I did the whole setup. Um, the Aristocrats The documentary Is a history of that joke It's also A bit of a history Of sort of behind the scenes uh, oh, Comedy yeah. stuff But it, mostly it's about A whole bunch of Different comedians Many of whom Are no longer with us anymore uh, Telling their version Of that joke Yeah Bob Saget's is disgusting
1: mm. <laughs> They're all really disgusting the, uh, the, the point of the joke Is to be disgusting oh, The point and is I'd The point to is see to a, repel I'd love to see A, uh, love to see a sequel actually of The Aristocrats 2 Given sort right. of uh our, our current attitudes about comedy have very much changed mm. and uh, yeah, you know, shock
0: humor is not mm. the the big shock humor is not what it used to be
1: it, it well we, we view it differently now yeah. um we we uh the outing the, the outing of louis ck i think was sort of like a big mm. turning point there's a new uh in that we learned that or the ousting rather the, the, the oust- more, uh, yeah. ousting excuse me that's uh, a, yeah. l- a better word um Kind of had us viewing uh, comedians who you tell shocking jokes and used racist languages. Mm. Uh, may not. We can't take for granted that they're good people using shocking language. Sometimes yeah. they're just shocking people. Yeah.
0: And,
1: uh, and a lot of a lot of
0: a lot th- of comedians so, uh, who started aren't... off getting with really shocking stuff mm. have sort of evolved. Uh, you know, Sarah some Silverman's have, yeah. tried to completely change her mm. whole persona, and I think successfully. But yeah. some of her early stuff is. Whew, yeah, Seth,
1: Seth Rogen of all people said, "Hey, you know what? Sometimes your comedy just doesn't age well. Yeah, go move on. Don't complain." Yeah, yeah. Uh That said, I think uh, Bob Saget's bit. Uh, he gets embarrassed at how filthy <laughs> he's getting. Because the, the the whole point of the joke is it's depre It's like you know, it's scatological, and there's all this weird sex stuff going on in the middle of the, the body of this joke. And so he just sort of spitballs and like tw- two or three times while he's telling this com- incredibly shocking joke, he kind of like leans over completely embarrassed. He's like, I don't believe I'm doing this. And then he'll sit back up and continue each <laughs> time. Like, he'll just keep <laughs> yeah. on going. And he, he would go on, <laughs> Can't go on for like 30 minutes. Yeah. If he didn't, like he has to, like, oh shoot, that's my cue. I have to get on. Like he's back. Yeah, anyway, the, the aristocrats. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he he had many facets as a performer. Um I didn't see the film he directed, however. Dirty Work? Uh you did a film called Dirty Work with yeah. uh the late Norm Macdonald, uh, yeah. who also passed away recently. Uh, which was uh, uh, Norm Macdonald play a played a guy who likes to get revenge on the people who pissed him off? Uh, not quite. So not he, quite. Uh, it's uh, he well, he he's
0: he's a loser and he's never held down a good job. Mm-hmm. And he realizes the only thing he's ever been good at is not taking crap from people. So he decides to turn revenge yeah, into a job. Opens a revenge for hire business. There, it's it's not a good movie in many respects. <laughs> in terms of the way that it's filmed, the way that it's presented. Uh, there are a handful of truly sublime bits in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some bits in that movie age very very poorly. Fair warning. But uh, there's one really really great bit in that movie that Bob Saga directed, which um, Norm Macdonald and his best friend they're running around to hire business, and uh, the guy there's a guy who lives next door to a really big house, and there's constantly parties, mm-hmm. and the guy says it's it's un, it's impossible to live next to that house. And Norm says, well, we'll make it impossible to live in that house. And so their plan is they break into the house with a whole bu- with boxes and boxes of fish. And they're going to hide the fish all around the house. In the radiators, in the walls, everywhere you could possibly fit a fish. They're going to put a fish in there. So the whole place will smell of fish forever and it'll be disgusting. And as they're almost done with the fish, the guys, the people who live there come in and they like steal away into another room. And that's when they find out that the people who own the house are gangsters. Uh-oh. And so they're in the middle of, like, a big cocaine deal. And says, okay, here's the coke. Where's the money? And the guy says, hey, it smells like fish in here. Is that some kind of signal? Are you a cop? <laughs> and then there's just this long, <laughs> long, long uninterrupted shot of Norm McDonald, and, and I think it's Ratio Sands is his friend here. Uh, it's Norm McDonald just reacting off camera to unbelievable sounds of murder.
1: <laughs> but, and
0: people outwardly describing everything happening. Oh no! That's a chainsaw! Zzz! Oh no! That guy took my chainsaw and now he's using it on me. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievably well, funny gag in admittedly <laughs> not a very well directed movie, but there's some good jokes in that film. Mm. Um Bob Saget will very very much be missed as well, but in the realm of film, we lost two Legendary titans In their own right uh, And I don't even know Where to begin with this Let's just start with Sidney Poitier Oh
1: god Sidney Poitier uh, Sidney Poitier Also in his 90s Yeah uh, um, Sidney Poitier Recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom hmm Knighted By Queen Elizabeth Oh yeah Ambassador to Japan From the Bahamas <laughs> Okay, even if he had never acted, yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty damn impressive. Also, he has a fifty-year career, um, yeah. where he started acting in the nineteen fifties, and uh, yeah, born in the uh, he was actually born. I, I learned this looking him up. He was born mm. in Miami while his parents were on vacation there.
0: Wow! So uh, I did not know that. That's so, yeah, amazing. He,
1: he's his, his home is the Bahamas, but yeah, he was technically born in Miami, so he has uh, he had uh, American citizenship. Uh, so he, he came to America to act when he was a young man. He starred in, um, he got a lot of high profile roles, uh, that, uh, weren't really offered to a lot of black men in the Mm -hmm. 1950s. Uh, and he wanted to, and he's, he's spoken very eloquently about this in interviews. He said he wanted to sort of buck a lot of the stereotypes about black characters in, in movies. Uh, he wanted to depict black men as being sort of dignified and intelligent Mm. and which shouldn't
0: have been a thing, no, like an issue, but it, it was. Like the
1: stereotype was yeah. that that, you know, black characters in movies were either they were servants uh-huh. because the white characters were always the main characters, because yeah. this is still a racist industry at the time. Yeah. Or they were or, funny. Yeah, or they they were like sort of buffoon characters. Yeah. Um wa- watch Spike Lee's film Bamboozled yeah. for a history on sort of black stereotypes in film. Yeah.
0: Uh but uh, Sid- or, or
1: the or the films of Marlon Riggs.
0: Sidney Poitier um, was basically uh he he managed to make a career Out of playing characters who completely flew in the face of that trend, Mm. characters who were able to talk about Mm. and feel angry about the institutionalized injustices in America. He played a lot of different types of characters, but the ones that he tends to be most famous for were the films that were directly confronting that. Films like The Defiant Ones, uh, in which he uh, co-starred with Tony Curtis. Uh, They were both fugitives on a chain gang. They were chained together. And... Over the course of the film as they're trying to evade the police, uh, they come to a mutual understanding. That's kind of a hackneyed idea now. At the time, it was seen as a a bit more of a novelty. Um, Obviously, it's a big message picture. Stanley Kramer directed it. Um, And yeah, it's blunt. He's also really amazing in it. And there's a lot of really amazing stuff in that movie. Mm. Uh, He was in uh, the Best Picture
1: winner, In the Heat of the Night... Which I haven't seen. Uh, oh, it's so good! Yeah, I only where, just saw I, it recently. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I know the story. I know the yeah. setup, where he, he plays a detective who's mm. traveling through um, Mississippi, and uh, yeah. is mistaken for a criminal because he's a black man by the uh-huh. local cop, who's played by is it Rod Steiger. Rod. Ste- well, it's yeah.
0: actually um, oh, what's his name? It's Warren Oates who mistakes him for. Oh, okay. I mean, Warren Oates who arrests him, but Rod Steiger is the sheriff.
1: Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So uh, he and he and Rods because he's uh, you know a, a skilled detective. He and mm. Rod Steiger. Uh, team up to mm. solve a local crime
0: Yeah uh, That movie uh, Directed by Norman Jewison Amazing screenplay by Sterling Siliphant. Uh That movie is amazing You've <laughs> got to see that movie That movie is so Just it, it, The writing on it just feels so sharp today mm. It's it's there's, there's definitely like a wittiness to it Like they know Just how racist and horrible these people are, and we were enough in it from Sidney Poitier's perspective that we can get a little humor out of that. But we also know that Sidney Poitier is alone Mm -hmm. in an entire town full of people who either want him dead or wouldn't care if he was. And as a result, there is an incredible amount of intensity at almost every moment on camera. Quincy Jones gives an amazing score, like a holy crap score. Like, it's super amazing. Um, that's a, that's a movie in which Sidney Poitier has maybe his most iconic scene in a movie. Uh, well, he actually has two. Uh, there is one where Rod Steiger calls him something horrifically offensive, uh, and, uh, asks him, like, he says, don't call me that. And Rod Steiger mm-hmm. says, well, what do they call you in Philadelphia, where he's from? He says, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Now, I'm not delivering that the way Sidney Poitier does. (laughs) Nobody can. But, like, it's Hmm. an incredible moment the way he delivers it. But the best moment is when he goes up to this really rich guy's house. And he's interrogating him. He's a a potential suspect in a murder investigation. And this guy walks right up to Sidney Poitier, a guy he knows is a cop. Slaps him in the face. And Sidney Poitier, without missing a beat, slaps him right back. And this millionaire racist doesn't know what to do with that <laughs> and he's like looks to Rod Steiger who's the sheriff of this town he says did you just see that and the guy's like yeah he' like Are you gonna do something about that and the sheriff's like I don't know. <laughs> and you can see this guy crying because his racist past is, like, over now. You realize that, like, America is leaving this racist asshole behind good, but he's he, uh, crying because he's so weak. This is all he had for strength this whole time was his racism. I it's got, such a powerful uh, moment, and Sidney Poitier fought for that scene.
1: Yeah, I, I was... I, I wrote about Sidney Poitier uh, yeah. uh, on his death. And like, here are some notable things that he's known for that critics yeah. have said he's good in. and uh, So, yeah, I was looking up sort of, like... Mm-hmm in the heat of the night things he he did on set things that sort of got him sort of yeah. recognized notable things that he did beyond just his acting which mm-hmm. is fantastic uh, and yeah he fought for that scene because it wasn't in the original book that the movie yeah. based on uh, he said that he'll, he'll let this guy slap him in the face if he gets to slap him back mm-hmm. and that there's no other way he's gonna and he insisted
0: that. that that scene not be cut from the film mm-hmm. that scene cannot be cut mm-hmm. from the film or I'm not doing it uh, that, yeah. that movie came out the same year as mm-hmm. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner
1: which uh, doesn't play as well today no, as, as it used to. Um, it's but well-intentioned,
0: but it's also it, clumsy, it's and it leaves out a lot of shit.
1: Uh, Hepburn and yeah. Tracy play uh, the old white parents of a young woman. who uh, The mm. young woman is played by Katherine Hepburn's actual niece in the movie. Mm. Uh, and she has met uh, an older man on vacation and has, uh, and has gotten engaged. And she's going to bring him home to meet uh, the parents and it's Sidney Poitier Mm -hmm. and he's a black man, which makes Spencer Tracy in particular realize, oh wait, I thought I was really progressive and forward thinking, but something in me is not okay with my daughter dating a black man. I must be more racist than I thought. It's it's actually Spencer Tracy's story, not Sidney Poitier's.
0: and once you see that movie, you'll it's, never look at Get Out the same way. Like Get Out is clearly,
1: yeah, basically
0: yeah. using that as a framework as a for a horror story. It's really brilliant,
1: and uh, it, it's it's especially notable though when you know when when it came out in comparison to the the landmark case Loving versus Virginia. Yeah, uh, there's a movie about that case called Loving, which is actually incredibly boring, but. Uh, <laughs>
0: the point is that it's boring. That's the whole uh, point of the movie is that that love between two people isn't salacious, it's It's actually kind of sweet and dull.
1: Mr. and Mrs. (laughs) Loving, uh, she was a black woman, he was a white man, and they got married, and nobody, and they didn't care. Yeah, it was a boring
0: life, except for the fact that they were surrounded by racists. They lived,
1: yeah, this kind of boring life, and then all of a sudden, it's like, no, wait, we're racist, you can't be married. Well, why not? (laughs) Because we're racist, so yeah. What are you going to do? I guess we'll move to the city. And they just sort of like sit around a lot waiting for yeah. the phone to ring. Because the whole the whole thing uh, is that they're just not, they're it, not it exciting. Was, it's a it whole was, movie. It uh, was Loving versus Virginia struck down anti-miscegenation laws that were still on the books in, in the United like, States. Oh, God, uh, when, so embarrassing. And, like shortly before Guess Who's t- Coming to dinner? came out, those yeah. laws, laws So the timing for the
0: most, movie yeah. was like just right so in terms it, it was, of its yeah, significance t- it's culturally. It's timed yeah. incredibly
1: well. And I think Sidney Poitier keyed into that. Even though yeah he's... A, kind of a supporting character in that movie well what's weird about that
0: is th- these are both movies these are both big oscar-winning movies in the heat mm-hmm. of the night uh one best picture katherine hepper won best actress for uh guess i uh, guess who's coming to dinner um rod steiger won best actor for in the heat of the night you know who wasn't nominated for in the heat of the night or guess who's coming to dinner sydney <laughs> poitier, Sidney poitier <laughs> what the fuck at least in the heat of the night like oh my mm. god he's amazing admittedly here's i will say this when i found out that Sidney Poitier wasn't nominated for *In the Heat of the Night*. I I was livid, and I still am. However, and this is not an excuse, that was a hell of a year for that category. Here's who was nominated for Best Actor that year: Rod Steiger for *In the Heat of the Night*. Okay. Warren Beatty for *Bonnie and Clyde*. Dustin Hoffman for *The Graduate*. Paul Newman for cool hand Luke and in a posthumous nomination, Spencer Tracy for guess who's coming to
1: dinner yeah, who died shortly after the movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: admittedly that's, that's a hell of a year, but also Sidney <laughs> Poitier should have been nominated. That's ridiculous. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Sidney Poitier. Oh gosh. He just, he, uh, he was also a very savvy, uh, business person. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a film called To Sir With Love. It was a British film uh, yeah. where it was sort of like one of those noble teacher films. Turns around a classroom of miscreants. Mm. He played a student uh, in an exact duplicate of this movie back in the 50s. The Blackboard Jungle. The Blackboard Jungle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then 20 years later, he's playing the teacher in yeah. pretty much the same kind of movie. And about uh, uh, 30
0: years after that, he was in To Sir With Love 2 on television.
1: Directed by Peter Bogdanovich, but Weird. we'll get to that. Um, we will
0: get to that. Uh,
1: but to Sir with Love, uh, he agreed, he believed in the material. He said, this, yeah. this is actually a good, good role for a black man. Yeah. He was always very aware of, of sort of his, his race and the kinds of roles black men were playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he said, I'll, I'll work for cheap, but I get 10%. Uh, of the film's earnings on this like little tiny nothing film they're not gonna spend any money on it it was a huge hit Uh it was a runaway success thanks
0: in part to a massively popular song
1: yeah, "To Sir yeah. with Love,"
0: like really great and, song uh, by the way. I'm not no nothing against it. Like it's great.
1: Like you, yeah. we we talk about like huge hits now and how they're going to stay in the memory forever. Not really. How many of you have seen "To Sir with Love"? That was a huge hit. That yeah, was a runaway. You
0: probably know the song it, or the title at least better yeah. than you know the movie. I was uh, actually uh, this, the
1: studio kept trying to get around paying Sidney Poitier. <laughs> <laughs> He kept saying, "No, we signed this contract, but we have to put a cap on it on like 125 grand." Uh, Sorry, and Sidney Poitier said, "Nope, you're paying me every dime you promised me." And wouldn't you know it? He became incredibly rich. Good for him from that movie. Uh,
0: other movies people didn't realize existed. Uh, I mentioned that I was watching uh, when Sidney Poitier died. I watched some mm. of his movies and talked about it. And uh, I watched it *In the Heat of the Night*, and a lot of people don't realize that that was a trilogy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There
0: were 3 was, of those. The second the one was night,
1: They call me Mr. Tibbs, mm-hmm, which and, uh, uh which uh, co-stars the title of the third one the, like everyone, the, everyone did. The,
0: the second one is called They call me Mr. Tibbs and it is a murder mystery set in San Francisco where uh, uh Detective Tibbs uh is investigating a priest played by Martin Landau who may have killed a woman. Hmm. Uh and it leads to a big moral call which is he wants he needs to arrest this guy, but should he do it? Should he wait until after, like, a landmark vote that this guy is trying to do to help people? Mm. Or should he just do his job? Um, It's it's not that great, but it's fine. Uh, Another really, really great Quincy Jones score. The third one is called The Organization, and it's really fucking weird. Um, It opens with a really great silent heist. But basically what happens is Mr. Tibbs finds out that there is a vigilante group led by Raul Julia... (laughs) <laughs> that is trying to says the the police can't take down, you know, the drug pushers and the the, the organized crime. So we're gonna do it, and we need your help, Mister Tibbs. And Mister Tibbs is like, okay. And I'm like, I don't think Mister Tibbs would do that. But uh, I actually have never seen all of that one, so I can't uh, I can't really speak to it. He also directed a lot of movies, like a lot of movies.
1: He, he, and here's the curious thing: when he as a his first film as a director, he actually. Was he just stepped in because the director dropped out? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. uh, Buck and the Preacher. Buck and the Preacher a, was a western. Yeah, with him and Harry Belafonte. Oh. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he he didn't want to be the director, but he stepped in when the director dropped out, and yeah. that was his first experience. And he found that he liked the director's chair very well, and he. I think he directed eight or nine feature films. Mm -hmm. Most of them were comedy films. Yes, Not the kind of film he appears in, which I thought was really curious. I'm
0: not sure if it's his biggest hit or not, but I think his best remembered film is Stir Crazy, starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, uh, who are serving a 125-year prison sentence together. (laughs) That was a huge hit, that movie. That movie was monster. Um, He uh, he also directed Ghost Dad.
1: He actually made a lot of films with Bill Cosby uh, when Bill Cosby was... You know, before his crimes had come to light, and he was just sort of an important yeah. voice in the acting world. Until uh, you know, I guess they liked working together. Yeah, uh, s- Sidney Poitier. I-, I don't know what he has said about Bill Cosby. I have no idea. S- since Ghost Dad, <laughs> uh, Ghost Dad was the last noticed... film he directed. It was uh, also the last film he had... we
0: directed with Bill Cosby. So maybe that was enough. Yeah. Ghost Dad is a movie about a dad who becomes a ghost and, and realizes he wasn't a good dad. dad. It's basically like any any. What's that movie with? Oh God! What's that movie with? Oh, speaking of horrible, Nine Lives, (laughs) Kevin Spacey, Spacey. where he magically becomes a cat (laughs) and realizes he (laughs) was ignoring his family. That's the ghost dad of its time. What
1: other monstrous criminals start in like cheesy body swap comedy? I don't even
0: want to think about it. Um, but uh, the other thing we do do need to mention is it may not be his most important film. Oh, it is. Okay. Yes, it, yes it is and It's, <laughs> it's arguably, important to us I, I would argue it's, It may be his most entertaining movie uh, And it's it's a really great ensemble film It's one of my favorite films One of Whitney's favorite films mm-hmm. It's a 1992 thriller uh, Called Sneakers Which we've talked about a lot But we might as well talk about it again uh, Sneakers stars Robert Redford Dan Aykroyd River Phoenix Sidney Poitier
1: And David Strathairn As a group of hackers in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, their their job is to break in, like, they're security testers. They yeah. break into, like, banks to test their security systems. Which is a real job. uncommon uh, yeah.
0: yeah. job, but it's a real job. We've built a security system. We need someone to see how easy it is to break in. You try to break in, steal something, and uh, when it all said and done, you tell us how, how easy it was.
1: And, of course, these hackers, uh, they, each of them has a checkered past, especially the Robert Redford character. And uh, it gets involved in this like weird post-Soviet NSA espionage mm-hmm. uh, involving hacking and uh, getting yeah. this magical chip that can hack into anything. Yeah. Uh, the... The politics of the film are insanely dated. Like, they could only have come out in 1992.
0: Yeah, this really it's, brief period between the fall of the Berlin Wall, but before, like, the Soviet Union stabilized into yeah, so what it, it is was, today. There was, so was uh, only a few-year period in which this movie could exist.
1: Yeah, the, right after the Soviet Union fell, e- each of the nations didn't instantly become a nation again, instantly. Yeah. yeah they didn't have governments and infrastructure all yeah, set up They didn't just have yet. money yet. So they had to figure for, it out. Like a Their a whole economy was, a, was in flux. For a while, it was called the Commonwealth of Independent States, if you remember that very brief period, uh, the USSR became the CIS. This takes place during that. A guy has a CIS cars. like, here's my new title. I am cultural attache to Commonwealth Independent States. Um, that's my bad Russian accent. It's about um, as good
0: as the one in the movie. Yeah.
1: That's my moose and squirrel Russian accent. Yeah. Um, Sydney Poitier is like one of two grownups in the room. Yeah. And even then he has a horrible temper.
0: He's amazing. He gets to be the straight man to Dan Aykroyd. Cause mm. Sidney Poitier's character in that, <laughs> Sidney Poitier's character in that X-CIA. was, a, he's ex CIA. Yeah. And like, he was pretty high up. Like he was good at his job and he is constantly forced to work with Dan Aykroyd, who plays a conspiracy theorist who believes that like, back
1: when that was fun, back
0: when that was funny, but he believed that like JFK made a deal with aliens uh, to uh, uh, like exchange cow parts for yeah. for new advanced technologies. You, you, you Give
1: us your technology. We'll give you all the cattle lips you want. Yeah, hey, yeah. Uh, don't 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 take her away. He knows about cattle mutilations. He was CIA. <laughs> Turns uh,
0: out that Dan a, a Aykroyd a of, and Sydney Poitier are perfect together. They're a really good combo. Yeah. It's
1: like what well, the the opening scene is. Hey, Crease, you're on the mic. Yeah. Did you know that the CIA left Managua right before the earthquake? Are you saying the CIA caused the monogamous earthquake? Well, I can't prove it. I can't talk to that guy. <laughs> uh,
0: one of the funniest damn screenplays. It's, it's, it's really so, witty. It's so know.
1: funny. I, I, I also rewatched that recently just because I love watching sneakers. Yeah, It's but, just one uh, of the best movies, period. Uh, one of James, Hor- James Horner's best scores. I oh yeah. Think. Uh, Magical yeah, score. Wonderful cast, wonderfully mm. light uh, comedy. And yeah, Sidney Poitier really, he just rounded out this beautiful ensemble of characters. Um, I think it was my introduction to Sidney Poitier, really. Honestly, it probably
0: because was it, mine, too. I can't think it, of an that, earlier film in which out, I'd seen him.
1: It came out when I was like just going into high school. I probably so saw Stirk
0: Crazy when I was younger, but he's not really okay. in front of the camera for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That was probably my big introduction to mm. Sidney Poitier as well. Mm. You can't control what your first movie is yeah, from people. Right, right. Especially when they've been around mm. for a long time and you're a kid. You never know what your first experience is going to be. It might be like a weird one, and then mm. all of a sudden you think that that's what Sidney Poitier is. He's the funny CIA guy. Like, no.
1: But uh, Sidney Poitier was 94 years old. Yeah. Uh, he, he lived a large, full life. Uh, by all accounts, just a relentlessly decent human being. Uh, as, as strong and as intelligent in life as he liked to play on screen. Mm. Um, what a loss. Yeah. No, truly. Mm. Uh, uh, and, and he made a film with Peter Bogdanovich. He made make a <laughs> film,
0: of all things, with Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, yeah, he made to serve with love too, with Peter Bogdanovich. Peter Bogdanovich was a, a really noteworthy filmmaker, but one of the curious things about him, he got his start as a film critic. Mm -hmm. He wrote about films, much like a lot of uh, people in the mid 20th century, especially the French new wave. He wrote about films. He's very passionate about films. He uh, did an extensive series of interviews with Orson Welles, which are all part of a really must read book for anyone who's interested in the industry. Um, and he gradually made his way behind the camera. He started off like many people did, working for Roger Corman. He directed a film called "Voyage to the Planet of Prehistoric Women."
1: And uh, th- this is this is a, a, a sign of things to come of how creative Peter Bogdanovich was. Oh yeah, he had to film this film, "Prehistoric Women," without sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No sound like they went out there with like the cameras and like they realized they didn't have any sound or there was something about the sound equipment they couldn't yeah. get it so they yeah. had, to, he had to shoot this film with no sound yeah it's like well how do we get around this like dialogue there's a script and I think Roger Corman just said think of something and I think uh, he expected the, the actors to speak and then have they like dub like, them later. voices later yeah. and he says well we can't have dialogue you know what they're psychic they're all communicating telepathically. So I'll have close ups of the women and we'll dub in whatever lines we want later. That's creative. That's me being creative, Roger Corman. And Roger Corman said, that's bullshit. And that's Corman saying this. Yeah. Corman uh, was a master of bullshit. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich would agree with me that that is a piece of shit film. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody has to pay their dues and I admire that Peter Bogdanovich was mm. willing to to go there and actually apply some creativity to this yeah. really bad shooting. Yeah,
0: he went on to direct a movie called Targets which I haven't seen and then very quickly only a couple years later uh he made a, an Oscar-nominated Oscar-winning film actually mm. he didn't win him an Oscar but uh he directed The Last Picture Show which is considered one of the better films of the 1970s. Yeah, maybe
1: yeah, I don't
0: think I've, if I've seen it I saw it like 25 years ago,
1: so it's oh, okay. been a yeah. bit I don't
0: really remember. I, I, haven't,
1: I haven't seen it for a couple of years but I have seen it, and uh, yeah, it's it's about um, young people, teenagers uh, sort of growing up in this decaying middle class town, and uh, their one respite is the, the movie theater that's where they all kind of yeah. eventually congregate, and the movie's not about going to the movies, it's sort of this coming of age amongst all these different characters, and they all react to each other differently, and they're all having sex, and uh, it's kind of a bitter film but it's also a very wistful film about sort of f- facing maturity and facing stagnation as a young person and it's about how eventually this movie theater will also yeah. have to show its last picture show um it's great uh wonderful performances all across the board from jeff bridges and uh, especially sybil shepherd mm-hmm. uh cloris leachman
0: won a Academy award for this yeah that's Speaking right cloris uh,
1: leachman was in it and she won an oscar um I think Peter Bogdanovich and Cybill Shepherd started dating at this point. They made a couple movies together. Yeah, uh, they also did at Long Last Love together, which is also a piece of shit. Well, We'll talk uh, about that. <laughs> okay, let's just skip ahead to a Long Last Love. Well, let's well, let's, let's go we'll, through like a few more good okay. ones because immediately after the last picture show, he made What's Up Doc. We recently did a
0: podcast on our podcast uh, uh, Critically Reclaimed, mm. in which both of us who had never seen it before finally saw the Peter Bogdanovich comedy What's Up Doc, starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill... And Madeline Kahn, and that is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my, oh my life. God, it is so damn That funny. is legitimately, and this is not. I, listen, I am a. I don't. I don't want to like wave this flag like it's a big deal. But I'm a professional film critic. I watch movies for a living. I've seen a shit ton of movies. If I tell you this is in like the top twenty funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm really saying something here I'm, just, <laughs> I'm getting up on a soapbox And telling you What's up doc What's up doc There's it's a couple of jokes that have an A12 But most sublime. of it is Most of it is Fucking genius There's a scene
1: what The are, scene where the
0: guy Is going to trip the old lady He's told like Hey listen oh We need to stall God. this old lady And prevent her from getting her In her hotel room Just, you got to think of something Be cool And he just trips her <laughs> he just starts Tripping her over and over again—it's the most bizarre joke in the world. <laughs> Barbara Streisand, never sexier. Like mm-hmm. my
1: God, like, did he know you, what to you, do with you, her and
0: Ryan O'Neill? He knew you, how to sell their sex appeal. Yeah,
1: you're you're going to have a crush on on Barbara Streisand I've and or Ryan movie. O'Neill. Uh, probably, probably both of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I just I can yeah. just watch it. That's all I can really say yeah. about uh, about what's up, Doc. Yeah. Um,
0: you followed that with Paper Moon, which I've actually never seen.
1: We haven't seen people yeah. yeah. That's Manor. another another yep. Ryan O'Neill and, and Tatum O'Neill. Mm. Um, not playing father and daughter, but sort mm. of in that uh, mold where she's sort of a rapscallion and he's a con artist and they team up. Mm -hmm. To pull Khan's It's a Khan movie Yeah One of the Uh, things And and it's charming And they cuss at each other And they hate each other But they love each other It's, Mm -hmm. It's a sweet film
0: One of the things That typifies a lot Not all But a lot of Peter Bogdanovich's films Is that he's very aware And I'm sure part of this Is because he was a film critic He's very aware Of film history And a lot of the films That he makes Are either placed In film history Or directly inspired By specific eras In film history What's Up Doc Is very much a screwball comedy In the vein of Bringing up Baby For example so in 1975, when he decided to do a, a musical in the vein of stuff like Top Hat or Swing Time, uh, a very loose, a very uh, uh, sort of rambling, everyone's just going to be charming and cute and sing songs together, and we're going to get uh, some of the funniest, and best actors of the time. We got uh, 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 Madeline Kahn is back. Obviously, we got Burt Reynolds. We got uh, Eileen Brennan. Mm. We got uh, Sybil Shepard. Uh, and we're going to get them all to sing and dance. I'm going to do the real singing. They're going to sing on camera. They're not going to like do a pre-recorded. And it's called A Long Last Love, and it sucks.
1: <laughs> it's so bad. It's not good. Uh, it's not a good film. It is... It's, it's, it's lazy. Uh, no. The actors are not... F- Really committed, they seem drunk most of the time, like yeah. in that sort of pleasant and not not lazy in the kind of funny yeah. the thin
0: man or Arthur kind of way where it's like we no, probably like, shouldn't be making this light of alcoholism, but at least the comedy is well timed no, like, like like the
1: actors themselves look like yeah. they they can't concentrate and they're not they don't yeah. have any energy
0: there's there's a, there are two versions of this movie, the theatrical released version was lambasted by critics, and then they found a new version, it's a really funny story actually uh they just decided to put this movie. Out on streaming, it's just part of like a big You know, bucket of films That Mm -hmm. they just digitized to put out there And whoever was in charge of that For whatever reason, put out a director's cut That people didn't know existed Rather than (laughs) the theatrical cut And apparently Peter Bogdanovich was just like scrolling around Saw his own movie out there He's like, oh, if I don't watch that in forever Let's check it out (laughs) And he's like, wait, I don't remember this And he realized they put a a different cut out and that cut is allegedly better. And let me tell you something. I've seen that cut. It's also not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good film. It's. I can understand finding it, like, harmless, because it is. There's nothing uh-huh. really mean about it or anything. It's just, it's just this lazy... Just Just this lazily-paced movie that is just in no hurry to get anywhere and then never gets there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just... Wow, what a film. Which is weird because, again, Peter Bogdanovich could be one of the funniest uh, uh, filmmakers ever. I'm going to skip ahead a bit. I'm going to skip to uh, Noises Off. I mean, I'm going to skip basically the 80s. He did a great film with Eric Stoltz called Mask. Uh, he did a film with Ben Gazzara called Saint Jack, which I saw at way too young an age. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But he in 1992, he made a really wonderful comedy called Noises Off. Uh, Noises Off... What a cast this movie's got! It's got mm. Carol Burnett, it's got Michael Caine, it's got Julie Hagerty, Mary Lou Henner, Christopher Reeve, John uh, John Ritter, Nicolette Sheridan, Michael Caine. Mm. Holy shit! And the whole idea is we're watching the dress rehearsal for a screwball comedy that's going to be playing on the play. Like it's a play, not a movie. Yeah. Um, and everything is going horribly wrong in hilarious ways. Mm. We never see the play. But we see them walk through about the the first act. And it is just perfectly comedically timed. I must have watched this movie 25 times growing up. Like, I love this movie to pieces. Mm. It's funny. Everyone's perfect in it. It doesn't get talked about enough. It's super duper great. Yeah. He,
1: yeah. he knew how to direct, like... The, the weird thing is... You look at What's Up, Doc, and you look up mm-hmm. Noises Off. Those are tight movies. They're incredibly well scripted and they're timed incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And then you look at like noise, or you look at uh, Long Last Love,
0: yeah. or
1: another film he did called The Cat's Meow, which is about yeah. movie stars. And those are really kind of loose and casual and conversational yeah. and not as exciting to watch. No, um, I I think he tried a lot of different kinds of filmmaking, and he wasn't always successful. Peter Bogdanovich. No, no. I
0: like um, Cats Meow more than you do, but uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. a big fan
1: of Cats Meow. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I admire that he kept on trying different stuff and that he was always interested in talking about movies and the way movies functioned and how to make things. Uh, he uh, he wasn't afraid to try, and, mm. and I admire that about Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, and, yeah, that he would also associate with Orson Welles, and he was also a big part of uh, the unreleased Orson Welles film that finally got released.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, he's
1: in it, kind of playing himself. Yeah,
0: he is. It's a wonderful film uh, called "The Other Side of the Wind." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's a film that stars John Huston as a stand-in for Orson Welles, an aging filmmaker who is sort of combating the urge to make art house films while also having to work within a shitty studio system that doesn't respect mm-hmm. him, while a, a whole new generation of filmmakers fawns all over him, while critics hate his guts. Um, it's very, very, very on the nose that film. Um, it's also really great. Uh I I know some people weren't a fan of it when it came out, but I still think it's a bit of a marvel. I just found out that I didn't know this existed. I have to watch this. Peter Bogdanovich directed a body swapping movie for the Disney Channel. He sure did. A Saintly Switch starring David Allen Greer and Vivica Fox as an as an NFL quarterback and a stay-at-home wife who switch bodies. Um how have I not seen that? How have I not seen that? That's amazing.
1: Yeah, he he uh, he would just do what he did. He did yeah. TV movies. He did a few episodes of television. He did an episode of The Sopranos. He had a
0: cameo in It Chapter Two as a horror filmmaker. And I was always thought that was one of the weirdest things in that movie. It's like, okay, it's cool that it's Peter Bogdanovich, but um, you know, he never directed a horror movie, right? Like, isn't that kind of weird? Like that's the cameo we got. Like it's kind of okay. Weird. It's an, almost a meta joke, but it's not. I don't really. Anyway,
1: but he would have made a great horror movie. He probably
0: would have made a great movie. horror movie. Sure. I would love to have seen him make a proper horror movie, but he never did. Um. Anyway, Peter Bogdanovich will also be greatly missed. Mm-hmm. Made a lot of great movies, a couple of stinkers, but who doesn't? Uh. In any case, that was that's 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 a lot. <laughs> Well, that's a lot of people a that's lot a, a lot of f- legends fam- that we fam- lost in a very short amount of time yeah, a
1: lot a lot of famous wonderful people who who are just all passed away um and now we have to talk about in- january rest in peace all of you rest in peace uh good movies for a little bit um <laughs> look we, we talk a lot about how january is sort of a dumping ground for movies because it is yeah uh, a lot studi- of film critics the call the it film- fuck you
0: it's january yeah
1: the the, uh, the new films that come out from studios that are released in the month of january not the extended releases from award season but the new films that uh, have come out in january are typically, typically stuff that they don't mind getting lost in the award season yeah, shuffle so it's it's yeah. kind of un- it's rare that a great film Mm. comes out in January. It happens. Sometimes it's by accident. You can yeah. tell like, the
0: studio didn't know what they had.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when you see... Oh, look, Liam Neeson is in another action thriller. That's a bad sign. That's not huge. There's a possession no. thriller. That's a bad sign. Yeah. There's there's a sequel to Triple X or something. There was this whole um, period
0: where the first horror movie released in the year was this really... The first movie released every year was like this low-budget horror movie. Mm. And it was almost always crap. It was like the Woman in Black 2 Angel of Death, <laughs> which is... Almost um, completely, one of the most forgettable horror movies I've ever seen in my life.
1: The devil inside. The devil inside. Another a a movie which a movie which didn't conclude in
0: the film. It literally just gave you a website to go to. Wow. Wow. Uh,
1: So yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of garbage comes out in the month of January, and um, the three five five fits square to that mole. It is a nice, forgettable little, not nice movie. But it has a very nice cast. The cast think, of this uh, movie is phenomenal. Yeah, Jessica Chastain produced, and she stars in mm-hmm. 355, and she plays CIA super agent. Yes. Who, uh, early in the movie, is having an affair with Sebastian Stan, so you know he's the bad guy. Yeah.
0: Well, you know he's the bad guy when he dies off camera.
1: Yeah. It's like yeah. he
0: runs into him like, oh no, the guy's about to shoot Sebastian Stan, and then you
1: hear the gunshot, and you're like, well, of course he's alive. Not only is li- like <laughs> I've seen movies before. Some, something about their dialogue between the two of those characters right at the beginning it's like you know, you know I know everything about you it's like oh yeah. you're a bad guy he's
0: probably the bad guy yeah, yeah. Um, like there's no one else in the movie what a
1: surprise he's the bad guy um, yeah but in uh, and their their widget is the exact same widget from the movie Sneaker it is uh, it's, it's a chip that can hack into any computer yeah and uh, so they have to get this MacGuffin yeah uh, and uh, she has to uh, call because she's excommunicado <sighs> for some reason yeah she has to, uh, she, she has to go
0: on she's not supposed to investigate yeah. what really happened happened because oh, she's under oh, no, investigation what, what they think she might have she, killed sebastian she Stan.
1: goes on the lam to uh fix up a cock up because she lost yeah. the chip and, so and she along the way she en- enlists her best friend from a previous case who's no longer in the uh, cia played by lupito nyongo uh she's really great yep uh also is an a german agent who's getting <laughs> tangled up in all of this played by diane krueger who's also really great who's really great uh-huh uh, 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 we have a site psych- a She's like an uh, agency psychiatrist She's not an actual agent But she works for the government Uh Uh, uh, Played by Penelope Cruz Uh And then we have Later in the film And I wish she had come in earlier But Uh a a Chinese agent Played by Fan Bingbing
0: Yeah That is Mm. Those five actors Are in a movie I'm seeing that movie I don't care what the movie is about I want to see them In the same movie If you can
1: assemble That same cast And do another spy thriller That's good I'd (laughs) see it Do the 355 again 355 five, but good this time yeah this one uh is not good it is maybe like one of the blandest screenplays you can that's, hope to see that's really the problem with it it's not that
0: it's terrible there's nothing about it that you point to and like that is the worst thing i've ever seen or that is completely inept but and what incompetent you're, what you're
1: doing is you're pointing and saying i've seen eight movies with that yeah. before and i've seen eight movies with that I've, before.
0: I've heard that line of dialogue in eight in 80 million films and tv shows and that's really the great tragedy here is that we've assembled this awesome cast. And by the way, a couple other cool people. Like we already mentioned, uh, 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 Sebastian Stan, not a, not a bad get. Edgar Ramirez is in this, mm. an actor who was almost a superstar status. And then that point break remake didn't happen. And that kind of knocked him uh, back down again.
1: But he's still super charismatic. It's the, good to see him in a movie. The, the British actor Jason Fleming, who yeah. play, plays a good villain. I like Jason Fleming. He yeah. plays a bad guy. In this, this is a
0: fantastic cast. Um, and but, yet, but they don't do anything interesting. No, and that's such a tragedy. Inter- there are moments here and there. There are moments here and there where it's literally just the moments where all the actors are hanging out and they're mm. talking about like their family or whatever like that, or the stuff that they value. Or like, there's little moments of like sexual tension. I think between like Jessica Chastain and Diane Kruger, where I'm like, I get the impression that like they would totally go out if they had time but right <laughs> now they have to go on this mission, but, like, they're yeah. totally going to make out later. Like, just these little yeah. moments of, like, where, like, they're if, such if good the, actors... If all the
1: characters were queer, it at least would have been a little more interesting. No, but, like,
0: they're such good actors that even the shittiest dialogue is a little more interesting because mm-hmm. they're saying it. And so whenever they're just together and hanging out, I'm like, okay, I'm with this movie. If, if I want to see more of this, please. If the
1: director and, had let them sort of improvise, I think it would have been a lot more interesting scene. But this is... Uh, Jessica, this is really curious because Jessica Chastain produced this, mm-hmm. and the director has only made one film before. Uh, well, he's only directed one film. Directed he's one written film. Written a lot. Uh, called Simon. Dark Phoenix, which mm-hmm. is one of the X Men films, and yeah. he wrote several of the other yeah. X Men films. The, the director is
0: Simon Kinberg, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, has a really long history of producing and writing things. In addition to writing quite a lot of the X Men movies, uh, he's got a writing credit on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm. Uh, the 2009
1: Sherlock Holmes, B- big yeah. um, showy studio, yeah, lots, lots of hit machine yeah. things
0: working within a studio system, and yeah, so he his directorial debut was the most recent X Men movie, Dark Phoenix, which sucked. Ironically, there was a lot but of it, studio interference in there that's very well known, but it's still not good. Jessica Chastain is in that movie. She is terrible in that movie. She has, like, no character. Well,
1: the, the the she's, actions... she's possessed by an alien in that movie, and which robs her <clears> of her personality, which is a little bizarre. I don't know, like, I'm, but I'm watching this, and I'm just like, I'm looking at Dark
0: Phoenix, and I'm looking at 355, and I'm like... Both Why did bland. you hire him? They're both bland in the
1: exact same Wh- way. Why did you? Did you really like working with him? Because I really it's, don't see it's possible. You, it's, you sometimes see, people are just fun to work with. You see like, all of these like these Adam awful Adam Sandler movies yeah. that all have these huge casts of a lot of celebrities and. Clearly people just like Adam Sandler and from what I understand he's a just a very kind person that's fantastic
0: and Uh, maybe Simon Kinberg is too mm -hmm. I've interviewed him once or twice but I don't really I never got to know him or anything Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that's the case but yeah this is a very workman like production it's not very interestingly photographed it's clear like I know what's going on but the action sequences are all really subpar the handful of decent stunts are shot in such a way that you wouldn't know that they were impressive stunts mm. um the big show off like shootout at the end of the movie a cacophony of nonsense mm-hmm. where you don't even know who's where like i understand that's a bad guy being shot and all of these this is good that this is happening i suppose but there's no sense of like wonder or mm-hmm. wizardry or or that we're watching like a really impressive display of anything whether it's choreography or pyrotechnics or whatever none of the thrills in this movie are thrilling none of the dialogue in this movie is noteworthy or memorable the characters in this movie are very very thin and the and the few who make an impression it's basically just because like Lupita Nyong'o's character her whole thing is she's got a boyfriend she wants to get back to mm. that's it when something tragic happens to her Lupita Nyong'o is fucking feeling it, and like no one, <laughs> like, no one told Lupita Nyong'o that this wasn't a real movie, and like, you know, you don't, so, have to, you don't, don't give your all. We don't have to, you don't. But but we, you know, what? we have you at a nine. We need you at a. Two. You, you, well, uh, you only need to be at a two. The nine is greatly appreciated though. Thank you. Everyone is giving 110% here. You can tell that Jessica Chastain really wants to be an action star. Mm. Like this is definitely this is like her Ethan Hunt type role. And it's just not
1: giving her anything to no, work with. It really isn't. Uh and it's frustrat frustrating besides because uh it's a PG thirteen rated film yeah. in a way that shows uh this is a yeah. very violent movie. People get shot, a lot of there's a lot of murders in this. And there's no blood, we never yeah. actually see a bullet land, it, and it, it's clear that they're obfuscating a lot of the violence. At least it, it's not in that cheeky cam sort of way, it's just we don't no, just, see any of it. No, it, it looks, th- this looks... Like, gun, like, like, like cut away, then we hear the gunshot. If you
0: had told me, and this is, you had told me that this was the pilot episode for a television series, hmm. I would have believed you. I'd what? be amazed that you got this cast, and I would want hmm. to see more based on that alone, but if you had told me, like, yeah, it's it's a TV budget, we you know, we hadn't, we couldn't, like, put together something truly exceptional for the action sequences. We had to imply more than we actually were able to show, and we have to edit around some stuff that wasn't clear. I would say to yourself, okay, all right, I want to see more of this show, but it's one movie, and it's not enough. Mm-hmm.
1: You, and of course they set up, like, further oh, adventures they'd, but, love us to,
0: they'd love us to be on more And if they made more, I'll watch it Because, hey, maybe you won't Maybe you'll get a better screenplay and director The cast is still yes. capable of doing better than this
1: Like, that first Expendables movie was was garbage yeah. But I was eager to see the second cuz they yeah. were just going to do the same gimmick. It's the same big cast. Yeah. That's the gimmick of the expen- Expendables. Yeah.
0: Here they uh, All the... of those movies are pretty bad. But <laughs> here's what the Expendables did and they're and again, the Expendables movies not good movies. No. Even the best Expendables movies just kind of okay and like getting by on the gimmick. But what they did at their best was they knew what we wanted each character to do. Mm. They knew that we got Jet Li He needs to get in a cool fight sequence Yeah, You know We got uh, Dolph Lundgren He needs to tower over guys And be gigantic and brooding We got uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme As the bad guy Well he needs to He needs to to kick a guy He needs to kick a guy He needs to do awesome kicking stuff We got Chuck Norris In a couple of scenes He needs to be the most Unstoppable badass In the history of cinema They knew He makes Chuck Norris jokes He does (laughs) But that's the one thing I'll give Expendables to A. Jean-Claude Van Damme Is a great bad guy In that movie B. The Chuck Norris cameo Is really funny they knew that who they had, and they knew that we wanted to see them do cool stuff. I feel like this is that kind of a cast. We're like, oh my god. This, is, this could be that big a cast. Mm. But they don't know what to do with them. And nobody gets the yeah. cool moments. And that's a shame. You, you really, really didn't care for this movie, but I'm going to say this right now. Um, we have teased the idea for a long time. Of a film festival we'd like to run Called Average Fest (laughs) Usually film festivals uh, are about Discovering something new and wonderful Or if they're about older movies They're about celebrating classics Or rediscovering cult films That deserve a bigger audience We wanted to come up with a film festival That was basically just two stars (laughs) Just it's fine
1: uh, You can uh... get through it (laughs) but there's nothing interesting about the movie. I've been meaning to you you can go to Leonard Maltin's website and get a t-shirt that just has two stars on it. <laughs> I've been I've been wanting that shirt. Um but yeah, the the two-star movies, the ones that you kind of remember
0: yeah, they're just they're fine. They fill
1: space. Yeah, you can't hate them, but you yeah. don't love them.
0: Yeah, like a year from now, you'll kind of remember seeing it, but you'll forget most of the cast.
1: Mm. You might think of it again if you're ever playing one of those games where you're trying to connect movies yeah. via actors. Uh, yeah, like it'll be like this will be Dakin useful game. if they
0: ever have like a like a mm. six degrees of Penelope Cruz game.
1: Yeah, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. Penelope Cruz was it, oh with Diane Kruger in this yeah, movie. That's, it, it's oh, a okay.
0: Yeah, that's pretty useful. Like that's where I'm at with this. It's not terrible. It's a wasted opportunity, but the actual film itself is just mediocre. Mm. Just flat it, it out mediocre. Ne-
1: never a, a hair above mediocre.
0: And yet, and this is the weirdest thing, because I was thinking about this. I still think this might be the best spy movie we've had in a couple of years. I don't think we've had a good spy movie in a while.
1: <laughs> Excuse me, we had like what did we have? two excellent Mission Impossible films. That's been Those were years ago. Those were years ago. I'm, I'm talking like about the last. I'm talking ago. about two like, or three years. Okay. I'm talking about two or three years.
0: i we get a lot of spy movies. Mm. I don't think we've had a better spy movie in a couple of years. I finally got around. Well,
1: that last James Bond movie was pretty bad. It
0: was really. I finally got around to No Time to Die. Uh, no, they made the time. Uh, it's not a good film. Uh, it's turgid and self-important. It has all the same problems Spectre has, uh, except now the plot's even stupider. I think I've seen a few. I'm trying to think of like because I, I looked, saw... I couldn't find anything. I found like things that were like kind of okay, uh,
1: yeah, but like I, wasn't I can't a think big of. Fan of Black Widow. Uh, Someone pointed was...
0: out like Gunpowder Milkshake, but that's like a crime movie. That's not a spy yeah. movie. It's different, um, different vibe. I saw Spi- I like that. Either. I saw
1: Spies in Disguise. The, oh, was that was that good? Versions. It was pretty good. Okay, so maybe maybe uh, that I one lot, I didn't say. I know a lot of people like the movie just called Spy, the one with Melissa McCarthy. That was quite a few years ago now. That was like four or five years ago now. Yeah, um... I, I, I hate those Kingsman movies. Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't mm. care for them. I haven't
0: seen the new one, but I don't care for them. Like that's the thing. I just don't think we've had like some good spy movies lately. Uh, so like, mm. if you're into, so basically my w- my only caveat towards my completely middle of the road mediocre review mm. is okay. A, if you just want to see this cast, yeah, well, this is the place to go. Uh, but if you've been longing for any spy movie, this won't hurt you. This will like this will like. Scratch an itch for a little bit, but it's not very good, mm. uh, and that's kind of a bummer. It's, it's a huge bummer. What a what a cast! <laughs> what a gigantic mm. cast! And what a disappointment. But yeah, um, just the movie itself just middle of the road.
1: Uh, speaking of the middle of the road, can I talk about the Tender Bar? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, George Clooney can have personality in when he directs. Uh, he did a, a two. He started his directing career with two rather interesting films. One was called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Uh, where which was based on the completely fake autobiography of game show host Chuck Barris. Mm-hmm. Then he who uh, claimed
0: who claimed when he wasn't hosting and producing game shows he was an assassin for the CIA.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> fun movie,
1: <laughs> a very fun movie. Fun Sam, movie. Sam Rockwell plays yeah. Chuck Barris, and he is great in that movie. Yeah. Uh, then he uh, followed that with another film about television called Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, Damn good movie. Uh, also a good film. Uh, he, he's done a few. Uh, Made a few odd choices as a director. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he's just trying to sort of stretch his legs and yeah. get into different. He's doing the Bogdanovich thing. He's, he's
0: doing what he's uh, doing, what he thinks is interesting. Yeah. And so d- uh, sometimes those are good movies. Sometimes they're not.
1: Yeah, he did. Uh, like Leatherheads, which is about yeah, the origin of one. American football. He um. did The
0: Monuments Men, which is a story about uh, uh, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of nerds who tried to. Uh, s- they're s- trying to
1: save art that the Nazis have stolen.
0: Yeah, basically, like in, in the midst of all the destruction in World War II, uh, a lot of priceless works of art are being destroyed, threatened, stolen, and they're trying to save them. Interesting story.
1: Not a very interesting film. No, and a great cast too. Amazing got like, cast: John Goodman and Matt Damon and Bob Balaban and Bill Murray. And you know, yeah, it's a pretty amazing cast. Yeah, uh, yeah, and kind of a meh movie. Yeah, just kind uh, of. Yeah. Yeah. He did that space movie last year, and now he's done uh, this one, The Tender Bar, which is an autobiography. Uh, it's based on the autobiography by uh, William Monahan, or the screenplay's by William Monahan. Oh, okay. Uh, the, um, J. A. Murringer um, is the. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning author who wrote his own autobiography. It's
0: no longer an autobiography if someone else has made the movie. I think it's the, based the on an mo- autobiography. The movie is based on the auto- but the movie is not an autobiography anymore. No, that, that, no. An autobiography became a biography.
1: Fine. <laughs> it's weird. What? Here's my hair split it a third way. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, t- uh, Ty Sher well Ty Sheridan plays the older version, but it's about a young boy whose father is sort of absent. Uh, his father is a radio DJ, so the radios are always tuned to his father's voice but he never has any actual uh, interaction with his father his mother is played by um uh Lily Rabe who is insists that he's going to go to law school you're going to go to harvard you're going to you're going to do something and you're going to do something big with your life and he doesn't really seem to feel any way about that about him hmm. being sort of pushed in this direction and uh to have sort of a father figure in his life we have uh, ben Affleck, who plays the bartender, his, his, his uncle, mm-hmm. who is the bartender at a local bar, and his the he's the kind of uncle who's gonna give you your first Playboy magazine and talk to you about girls and give you advice and make sure you're mm-hmm. okay. But he's also gonna get into fights, and he's really cool, and you love him even though he's kind of a scoundrel kind of character. Yeah, in a way that you've seen in a hundred movies before. It, um, if
0: this, it feels, like, and I haven't seen this one, but mm-hmm. that sounds like the role. That's like let's get Ben Affleck and ask it, shall we? He doesn't uh, have yeah, one kind of. for acting yet. He's,
1: uh he, uh, he, he kind of, he played the, the alcoholic basketball coach. That was a good one. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'm, but not in, saying, I'm not saying he's
0: a bad actor. I like Ben Affleck he's, as an actor. He's, he's, he's a good a actor. actor. He's and, a fine actor. and very multi-talented and individual. Individual. In fact, he's yeah. the most
1: interesting thing about this movie. Yeah. The main character, he, he has that Dickens quality where stuff happens to him, but he doesn't really instigate any action. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, even though Ty Sheridan plays him when he gets a little older, and I like Ty Sheridan as an actor as well, um, he uh, he doesn't really have much to contribute to his own story. And the film is so relaxed and so conversational. And there's these long portions where the Ty Sheridan character is just shooting the breeze with his friends or going to the bar to listen to uh, his uncle or hanging out with his grandfather. It's played by Christopher Lloyd. I haven't seen him in a movie for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, and not really adding up to much. We're not getting character moments. Mm. We're not getting life lessons. We're just sort of getting talk and speeches and if it was about just the conversation it was just a yeah. talk movie that's fine i love movies that are about conversation yeah sure but this is supposed to be heading, like pushing us in a certain direction about sort of the big change in his life when he was going to be decided to become a writer or when he was going to become a lawyer or whatever he was going to end up doing something was going to happen in his life turns out he ended up being a writer and a pulitzer prize winning one at that and the movie ends with him driving off into the sunset not really having resolved any of the stories in his life just saying i knew i was going to be a writer someday and roll credits. So nothing happened oh. in this movie. And it's very frustrating where we're not Ooh. given any kind of big emotional crests or low emotional moments. We're just sort of meandering through this kid's sort of nostalgic memories of his uncle. Oh. And his uncle, who is. And his uncle isn't even like this hugely interesting guy. He's ben Affleck, he has some character and cares about him. Yeah but it's he's not such an outsized character that we feel like we need a whole movie about this guy. Yeah, the, the, you know, that's that's something, I don't
0: think that's a lot to ask from a movie, mm. is uh, to know after you've watched it, why you watched it. <laughs> like, why why this was here. Yeah. Like, I I want to, I here's something I, I feel like, this isn't an altruism or anything, but I feel like a lot of stories, if you want to, like, determine, like, how interesting the story is, like, it's just a matter of like, hey, would, would, if you like walked up to someone in a bar and the, the movies didn't exist for the mm-hmm. sake of this conversation. And it'd be like, hey, you ever hear the story of the Shawshank Redemption? And then you would tell that story. And be Like, wow, I'm so glad you told me that story at this bar. Thank you. Um, but then like every once in a while, it's like, hey, you ever hear the story of, I don't know, the three, five, five? Like no, not the actual three five five. The first like a, a spy oh, in American history was a woman, and her, yeah. her identity was
1: never revealed. That's an interesting story. Make that movie, please. Make that movie with the same cast. Have like a flashback movie, oh, like awesome. Fear Street or something. That'd be cool. Like the different three
0: five five throughout history or something like that?
1: No, just ha- have it be mm. the first 355, but she's also played by Jessica Chastain and she also has compatriots played by the same cast. Just uh, new, all new characters.
0: Maybe. I don't, hey, fine, I'm down, whatever. It sounds really, really good. But like, yeah, I just want to get the sense of like, there's a, re- there's a point, there's a reason why I'm telling you this story right now. Right. Even if it's just, I think it's a really neat story. <laughs> I just think you'd get a kick out of it. You know, like that's enough. But there are some movies, man, where I'm just like, who was excited to tell this? Who was like, I yeah, gotta tell um, you of all the stories in my life, this is the one you needed to know. And I just doesn't it doesn't sound like they answered that question.
1: No. The, just nothing. Yeah. And George Clooney, uh, like I said, interesting director. He chooses weird projects. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what's drawing him to this one. And he hmm. clearly has no passion for this one because he's not bringing any kind of flair or excitement to this. Yeah. Doesn't even like have that like ambitious photography or anything. Just everything just looks very plain in this is it, film. Is it
0: an old man movie? I mean, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but just I feel like when you're older, the older you get, different types of stories oh, appeal no, I, to I, you. I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And
1: no, it's not. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not not sort of like, Small and reassuring I actually yeah. like those movies Because yeah. I'm, I'm getting older myself And yeah, uh, When you're
0: a kid you want a little yeah. bit more razzle dazzle But when you're an adult Something that's just intimate and mm-hmm. reassuring And actually speaks to your, The experience you've accumulated over a long life uh, Means more to you yeah. Because it actually connects to you in a more real way mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, That great movie uh, Driveways yeah, uh, that's uh, a great example. It's great of example of that. Some of the better Clint Eastwood movies the last I, few years. I was going
1: to say Mike Lee. Mike Lee is yeah. A, yeah. A, some of his later movies are very much in that mold. Yeah. Uh, no, no, this doesn't have that kind of relaxed, relaxing quality. It is just yeah, relaxed filmmaking in a way where it feels like it, it can't really focus mm. on what it's trying to say. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, I saw a movie uh, that
0: is not relaxing, mm. uh, and is actually quite intense. And I'm really, really glad I saw this. I wasn't going to run out and see it, but it came highly recommended uh, from John Squires over at Bloody Disgusting, so I made a point of uh, checking it out this weekend. Uh, It's a film called See For Me. It is a home invasion thriller uh, starring Skylar Davenport, uh, a non-binary actor who is visually impaired, uh, as a visually impaired young woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is cat-sitting for a rich person in a house that she doesn't really know. And uh, while she is there, there is a home invasion. People are trying to break into a safe. And in order to evade the thieves, potentially killers, uh, she uses an app called See For Me, which I don't know how true, I don't know if this is a real thing or not, but it's an an idea that makes sense in a movie. Uh, It allows people who are visually impaired uh, to call someone on this app. Someone will always pick up. And they can see through the camera in your phone. And it could be a... Sin. They talk about it like the like the person that she calls. said, hey, the last person I talked to just wanted me to check the expiration date on his milk. Sure, That's I... it. It's simple things. But like initially she calls this person because uh, she accidentally locks herself outside of the house. And they have to find a way to get back in because there's no one else around and the house is really isolated. Hmm. Uh, and they form a bit of a rapport. And so she puts her on like her saved list. So it's always call her if she's available. The, the, and so when there's a home invasion, sound, sounding like a good uh, premise for a thriller. Solid high concept premise. You have a person who's visually impaired, you have someone who and there's there's a really cute bit where like you're introduced to um uh the the woman on the other end of the line is played by Jessica Parker Kennedy. Uh and uh, we are introduced to her and she's a gamer. And she's like playing like Call of Duty or whatever, and you realize that this becomes like a real life Call of Duty, because eventually there's like a bit where
1: like oh, just to do the first person shooter. Well, basically, she's trying to tell
0: this person like what to do, and this person can't see, so basically, like there's a point in the movie where she has a gun and she's trying to tell her how to aim it using a camera phone, and like that's really (laughs) suspenseful, like that's a really really exciting use of a pretty solid gimmick. This is a low budget film. It doesn't really feel low budget because the story is Mm. so intimate. But it's also just not gigantic. In fact, I'm getting kind of, I'm, I'm really starting to get a nice feel for these kind of low budget kind of thrillers we're getting right now, where um, they're not. No one's throwing money at them. They're just trying to make the best of what they do. I'm getting. It's like it's like when you're watching like a really mean spirited radio drama from like the 30s. Oh, I Back love when those. you would listen, like ah yes, the Whistler is here.
1: Tonight's episode of the
0: Whistler, where dead men go angels follow i don't
1: know
0: <laughs> but there's always something like, really high concept alfred hitchcock presents kind of murder mystery thing going on here and what's really really cool about this movie is um skylar davenport's character it's not a good person In uh-huh. fact, we find out pretty early on that she she's she, she resents she's only recently blind uh and uh, she resents it she mm. hates people taking care of her and she's been doing a lot of house sitting or cat sitting for rich people. And she's taken to just sort of mild larceny just to like, oh you know, steal like a $4,000 bottle of wine from their wine cellar oh, and sell okay. it on the black yeah. market. Yeah. And like, so there comes an opportunity where like, she's actually interacting with the criminals and you can't tell if she's like going along with them in order to survive or if she's actually just morally compromised. All
1: right. Which is a
0: very, very cool place to go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For um, sure.
0: It's basically here's a problem, here's a unique solution to the problem, and then we're going to get a really solid cast and they do. Skylar Davenport is great. Jessica Parker Kennedy playing, you know, what what Spider-Man calls the person in the chair uh is really really good with a very very limited role. Um it doesn't have that kind of pizzazz that you expect from an A-feature, but these kinds of like low-budget video on demand kind of thrillers they've got that like b movie but like from the 1940s kind of kind of vibe okay where like you see your a picture it's got all the money it's got all the the the, the, the stars everything is yes mm. thank you thank you thank you phone
1: wasn't me that time that was
0: that was me i have another <laughs> uh, my computer is back i have to readjust the settings and so i got a text and it was like Bing! and i was like oh i didn't turn that one off yet um but, um, yeah, this is like you see the A feature and then you stick around and the B feature, which is this sort of high concept, low budget thriller. Mm. And then you're very pleasantly surprised by how good the high concept, low budget thriller is. Mm. So I really, really like this movie a lot. It's a solid, here's what you do on a budget. Here's what you do when you get a good cast. Uh, awesome lead performance. Um, I like this a lot. Right. So kudos. Honestly, Just it's it's flying under a lot of radars. Uh, some of the reviews have not been great uh, I actually checked Ron Tomatoes just to get like the average because mm. I heard bad things and I heard good things from someone who I trusted the, the average is about like 70 it's like a 70 right now which is not something people are going to be like ooh must go CC for me but um, I, I recommend it this is a rock solid rental so I, I highly recommend it um, and then lastly it's a film that we've both seen this is a film uh, that is I believe it's the French uh, submission for best uh, international feature this
1: year, at the Oscars. Uh, it, is. it is, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the the scandal was it was this and not Titán. Uh, Admittedly,
0: that's a that's a tough call. Yeah. When you have we have multiple great movies yeah. coming from the same country, that's that's right. Um,
1: this is the latest film from Celine Sciamma, who did Water Lilies and Portrait of a Lady on Fire and uh, others besides, and uh, she is incredibly talented uh, and makes incredibly thoughtful movies that move through. Uh, Move very easily through uh, difficult and very intense emotional spaces, uh, but ultimately usually finds themselves in kind of a peaceful place. Maybe not Water Lilies, but uh,
0: <laughs> I haven't seen Water Lilies. So uh, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know why that's funny, but your delivery it, suggested uh, that maybe it is.
1: Uh, Water Lilies is uh, sort of a lesbian coming of age drama about this uh, young queer girl who's starting to feel sort of romantic and sexual stirrings for a a classmate of her in her swimming class, played by the same actress from Mm. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and uh, how sort of their relationship evolves to be this weird kind of one-sided thing. Mm. Uh, It's really very good. Mm. Uh, This one is also also pretty intense. I was reminded of, weirdly enough, My Neighbor Totoro. uh, Yeah, I I buy that. It's about a young girl. She's about nine. And... She her grandmother dies at the beginning of the movie. Uh and she's seen sort of saying goodbye to all of the other women in uh the nursing home where her grandmother was. So mm. they've clearly been going back to this place a long time. And now it is uh time to clean up grandma's house. Mm. They have to go into her house and sort of go through it. It's A very clean place. It's actually incredibly spare. Yeah,
0: it's not like it's not like it's isn't going to take a month.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, and her mom, this little girl's mom, like starts going through drawers and like finding things that were still there from when she was a little girl. Uh, This little girl goes out into the woods and uh, just idly to play like a a young child does Mm -hmm. and meets another girl who looks a lot like her. Uh, thank goodness Selin Shiyama color-coded them because from behind they look identical. <laughs> they're very similar-looking yeah. kids, yeah. Um, And they start building shelters together and they start playing. They go back to this other little girl's house and it happens to look identical to the house, to Grandma's house that they're cleaning, cleaning out. Mm. And we get to meet that other little girl's family and uh, her mom who who walks with a cane and sort mm. of their uh, the relationships they have and... They begin developing this weird kind of cautious but very real warmth for one another. These two little girls.
0: Mm.
1: I don't want to say sort of what is happening in the story because there's bigger things going on in the story, and there's going to be. A, it's, a, hard, it's really hard. It's, to it's, talk it's hard about to talk about, and yeah. there is there is going to be sort of developments in the plot that I don't want to talk yeah. about because there's so um, little plot. You yeah, don't want to. But, what Celine Shiyama does is find the place where a story can be told not through incident mm. uh or through anything like grand or extraordinary, even though some extraordinary things are happening uh but it's it's more like an opera. it's a story told through emotions, and it's about how this little girl is she's not infused with sadness. Her grandmother's dead and she's sad about that, but uh, she's actually very, speaks very practically with her own mom about this and with her own Mm. dad about this. Her dad uh, starts playing a bigger and bigger role as the movie goes on. Uh, And she has questions about sort of, about life and about mortality and about sort of the nature of, you know, these complex things she's going through, but it's, this is not a tale of mourning. Yeah. It's actually a tale of connecting. This is about sort of her friendship with this other little girl and what that actually, you know, the importance of that friendship and what it means in the other relationships she's having in her life. And I know I'm speaking in vague terms because I don't want to give away what <laughs> it's, happens. It's, it's really frustrating. Uh, it, actually, it's yeah. also only a 72 minute film. So, so you can short. just speed through this thing. Yeah. Uh, and it, it leaves, it, it's like getting, punched with a cloud it's, <laughs> like it hits you hard but it, you barely
0: even realize well, that it's hitting you no it's not that, it's not that it hits you it's that it just without realizing it you're immersed it, it's such mm. a, it's such a tender and simple story it's a story about like two little girls hanging out
1: yeah and that's it, it. And, mo- it's about, and they're very the movie, little most of these the movie is just them playing. there's,
0: there's a scene where they're making pancakes the whole scene Mm. and you're right it's very miyazaki is that this attention to incidental detail Mm. and how magical that is and when you realize when you when you realize when you're watching like a miyazaki film about like just how much effort had to go in to animating something where nothing of consequence happens Mm. it's all atmosphere it's all just settling into something that feels very uh familiar And you realize that, like, yeah, that takes as much effort as it does to animate a fucking dragon. (laughs) And you realize that Selin Yama could be making a story about anything right now. Hmm. And they're telling a story about two little girls connecting. And in a way, because we're here to say goodbye to a grandmother and we're talking about a relationship with a girl and her mom, we're also talking about the relationships that women have within their own families. Hmm. And how these things intersect and how they connect. Um, when the movie finally reveals clearly, I think you can start picking up on it. Yeah. But when the movie finally reveals clearly what it's really about, I really love the way that it doesn't suddenly kick in.
1: Yeah, it's not like it's, oh, it's not
0: like oh, wait, this is what's happening, and this you realize a... this, this could be the the moment where the plot starts. This would be like mm. page thirty. In any movie, and then like a bunch of business would happen, and then amusing sequences or action or something. A
1: tendency for uh, American screenplays to push a twist to the end, twist Mm -hmm. ending.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Either as, as a denouement, it happens after the story's concluded, or it's the thing that informs the conclusion. Yeah. It's really rare that you'll have sort of like a twist or a redefinition of something and then have another act of film.
0: Yeah. Um, and again, it's not it's, even like at the beginning where like, oh, this is what the movie's really about. It's, imagine, if you will, something like, uh, I'm going to pick something like just really weird and random, The Shaggy Dog.
1: I was, like, was going to say like The Cabin in the Woods. Okay. Where, well, no, I guess we know the twist right away. You know what? Here's one. Uh, did you ever see the thriller Identity? yes uh there's a twist uh, at the end of the second act of identity where yeah. we learn the true nature like it's about a bunch, a bunch of people are like lost in a rainy motel and they're being picked off by a mysterious killer what and there it turns out killer?
0: there's more going on than that yeah. but we won't tell you what
1: but the entire third act of the movie mm. takes place after that's been revealed
0: yeah it's a whole reframing of everything mm. that we're saying this this twist takes place if you can even call it a twist Uh, earlier in that, but not so early that it's like the inciting incident where like I have become a dog and I have to find a way to tell my family. Like it's not about that. There's something very, and I I think you're right. Miyazaki ish about the way that things that are larger than life are just accepted by the young. Mm. And I love how this movie is not about its plot. This movie is about its connections and it's about how beautiful those connections are. Mm. It is about coming to a deeper form of understanding But, yeah, this, it's, it's... It's intimate. It's it's intimate. Here's what it is. It's a childhood memory you didn't realize you had. And not a bad one, like a good one. Like a play date. Like, oh, right, I remember that day when I was in, like, the third grade and I hung out with my best friend friend and we built a treehouse together. I hadn't thought about that in years. That's what this movie feels like. even
1: a a friend you had. Uh, Yeah. the, the, The sort of... I'm not sure if you ever, like, went on vacation and you had, like, an itinerant friend. Somebody who was, mm. like, your best friend for a week. Yeah,
0: and, just, just and, while you are on vacation, like, staying mm. at your grandmother's house or something yeah, like that. And, and they like lived the, next the, door. The neighbor was and, there. And,
1: and you fell in really, really hard with this neighbor. And you, and you, you swore just,
0: you'd write forever and you wrote once. And, and, and that was it. Yeah, you know, like you kids.
1: And you completely fell out. And, yeah. But you always cherish week that week. Is, yeah, yeah that, That's that's sort of... A gigantic eternity. And this this movie is about that week. About these two little girls who had this very intense bonding experience. Mm
0: -hmm. And that will affect them their whole lives in a way Mm -hmm. that you'll understand when you see the film. But it's really lovely. (laughs) It's a truly lovely motion picture.
1: There's nothing... There's nothing... This is another reason I compare it to My Neighbor Totoro. My Neighbor Totoro does have some terror in it. There's uh, the like near the end where the well, little girl feels like, oh no, she needs to race somewhere. And she's well, her, her mother
0: is in the hospital, uh, which is why her, they moved to the country, and, and so mother, she's worried yeah. about her mother. And she's worried she about runs her off her, to see her, mom. Her,
1: her. Her mom is is in the hospital, so there's like some a little bit of fear in in this little girl's life. Yeah, okay. and yet you think of My Neighbor Totoro, and you think of just sort of how comforting and warm and gentle it is. Yeah, and it is about how these otherwise kind of dangerous dangerous things. Are really just another facet of your childhood life, and they're not something that's necessarily making your life easier or harder. It's just something that that you're dealing with. Yeah, uh, and I think that's very healthy. I think it's a very healthy yeah. view of childhood, and I think uh, Celine Chiyama nails that. Yeah, that there there is a, a difficult thing that she has to deal with. She has to deal with the death of her grandmother, but yeah. it's also about her whole experience as a child and how her friendship with this other little girl is going to aid her uh, not in a therapeutic way, but in a character way, uh, in, in a way that that is in a way that strengthens her as a person, not strengthens her as a a fictional construct. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is very sweet. It's a
0: beautiful, beautiful motion picture. Um, it didn't. It, it was like in my runners up for the best films of last year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I didn't get
1: to see it until this week. I, so. I
0: put on Twitter. I put like my top twenty when mm. we did our, like our top thirteen. Yeah, this was I, like,
1: I copied you. I did
0: that. Yeah, it was like, it was this was like my number sixteen or something? Like it was mm. very very close to making my official list. Um, but um, I, this is my second Celine Shyama film. They are one of the great mm. filmmakers working today. Yeah, she. she I need to see more, and I will. And I am so endlessly impressed. And this is a very different film for Portrait Lady on Fire. Like, that's one of my favorite (laughs) films of the last decade. Yeah. And this is a very different... They're both about, like, women and women's spaces. But this is a totally different vibe. A totally different attitude. Totally different theme. Uh, Absolutely uncanny filmmaking. I highly recommend it. So, uh, it is time to review films on a critically acclaimed scale. Uh, Once again, that scale is as follows. Uh, An average movie Mm -hmm. is a You know, like in school, you get a C if you're average. <laughs> below average, as in we don't recommend it or it's really quite bad, gets a C minus. That's not a good film. It's below average. And then above average, you get a C plus. That's everything from we simply recommend the movie to the greatest movie ever made. C plus. Above average. We will never be on a movie poster. Uh Petit Maman, big ol' C plus. Just a truly wonderful work of art. Uh, I, I hope I, people see it.
1: I liked it a lot, too. I also give it a C+.
0: Awesome. Uh, c for me uh, is a low C+. Plus. You know, it's a little unambitious in some regards, but as a high-concept
1: thriller. Uh, it's with kind, the, kind of funny you said c- Petite Maman, C for me, which means you're giving, it sounded like you were giving Petite Maman a C I, It's all. weird, right?
0: No, no, no. no. Petite <laughs> Maman is a C
1: plus. The film that is called C for me.
0: It should be called C plus for me. Because it's quite good. Uh, it's again, it's not uncanny, but as a like almost like I don't know, like a short story or something like that, or like a one act play, oh like just a really ripping concept, solid cast, it works. Highly recommended. See for me, solid flick. Uh, the Tender Bar.
1: Tender Bar. It's it's a C minus, but it's not a. a... Angrier, passionate my C-. ass Okay, uh, it just doesn't work Yeah, it just, yeah, just doesn't, doesn't really rise up I'm not going to think about it too much mm. It's disappointing that such talented people Put out something so bland mm. uh, But, you know what can they, you do? they put out something bland
0: Speaking of talented people putting mm. out something bland uh, The 355 for the 355 yeah. uh, I'm giving this, this my most C ever
1: <laughs> Just
0: absolute <laughs> middle of the road I'm yeah. disappointed that the, this good a cast Wasn't in something better mm.
1: But it's also not like Incompetent. It's just sort of there. Uh, I can, I can, I'm completely comfortable with giving a C minus to a film that is merely mediocre. Uh, because I thought that was the point
0: the, of mediocre, is that we give it a C. A, a,
1: a C, I would say there's something to recommend. There's not a lot to recommend the 355. Okay. It's such a pat, boring script and okay. such a generic spy story <laughs> that even if it does have an an interesting cast. It's not saving hmm. itself in any kind of way. Hmm. I would encourage people to go out and see it just for the cast.
0: No, no, no. This this is uh oh, this is on Netflix now. Mm. Um well, I'm just going to get high and go to bed. I might as well watch the 355. That's where you're at. Yeah. All right. That's that's where this movie that's this movie's time to shine. Mm. Is when you're high, And you're probably going to fall asleep halfway through it. (laughs) That's Uh, where you're uh, at. That's a good place to be. uh, That is mediocre at its fucking core.
1: I will go home. I will get high. And I'll watch the 355 that way. And see if my view of it changes.
0: It will go from C- to... Eh. (laughs)
1: That's
0: where you'll go from. Anyway, that is it for Critically Claimed this week. Come back next week uh, when the big release of January is coming out. The new Scream. It's not Scream 5. Well, it is, Scream, be. it is Scream
1: 5, but they Should just call be. it Scream. I
0: keep hoping that there's, like, a twist. I haven't seen it yet, so I have no idea. But, like, the reason why it's not called Scream 5 is because it's actually, like, Stab. Like, it's so actually, like, a... Fun, wouldn't yeah. that be
1: kind of a fun twist? Like, it takes place in the universe. I've had, or... I've had a
0: pitch for that for forever. Like, the next Scream if, movie is a Stab movie. it
1: if Sydney doesn't end up like eventually being the killer, what's the point, really?
0: I people were talking about that when Scream Three came out. She
1: should have been the killer in Scream. 3, know, and four, weird. and now five. No, I,
0: I we'll will talk. I have a lot of opinions about Scream. Yeah. I think Scream, even the worst Scream movie, is still a really good movie. Um,
1: they're all pretty good. They're all
0: it's a, it's a it's a very consistent franchise overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm looking forward to the new one. I like the filmmakers and what they've done in the past. So it's so people did Ready or Not. So hopefully yeah. it's hopefully. You know, we lost Kevin. Wes Craven, but hopefully it'll be worth coming back to it, is, and we'll find out oh, next week. You
1: know, I, I actually didn't look at this up. Is it Kevin Williamson doing the script again?
0: Uh, no, I don't think it is. Okay. yeah, um, But we'll check that out. I don't have that in front of me. Um, anyway, so that's coming up next week. We'll review other things as well. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to uh, join the conversation, there's a couple of ways to do that. The best way to do that is to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. We also have a P.O. Box for anyone who's interested in sending us uh, snail mail. Sometimes people
1: send us uh, uh, curios. Yes. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, write us into the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. We're
0: also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani.
1: I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, of
0: course, we have a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And over there, you can vote for future episodes of some of our shows. Uh, you, We have a monthly hangouts, which we need to schedule one really soon, actually. Uh, we have bonus podcasts, uh, where we're talking about every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Every single episode of every single Star Trek is getting its own podcast on our Patreon. We're already almost done with season one of The Next Generation, which means if you signed up now, you have well over 100 episodes of just instant content boom we do commentary tracks we do a ton of stuff over there thank you to every single one of our patrons without whom this show would not be possible and we're incredibly grateful to you you mean the world to us thank you for your support through the years thank you thank you thank you uh, we hope everyone's having a wonderful new year uh, we're all we're all in this together we're all sticking with it dang it uh, I'm not going nowhere uh, and uh, yeah when am I forgetting anything? nope alright then uh, that's a wrap And never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to
1: the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what?